media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to John chapter 20. If you were with us Friday night, you uh, saw that uh, we had uh, slowly throughout that service uh, put out each one of these candles until when we finally got down to the end, uh, the room was dark. And uh, we've been in that darkness, and as some would say, uh, the silence of Saturday, where we just don't really hear anything, and we don't really read anything in the Gospels. And then we come together today, and, and we relight these candles again, because we have this good news about what has happened with Christ, that, that this grave is empty, this tomb is empty, and that he lives again. But this morning, we're going to go back, and we're going to look at one 24-hour period, or at least a, a part of that 24-hour period, that from the morning to the evening, how lives were changed by this gospel message and by the events of that day. It's always kind of overwhelming. I mean, are you at that point of life now where you can understand how much a life can change in 24 hours? Isn't it amazing? I think the older we get, the more we become conscious of really not being in control. I think when we're young, we think, okay, as long as we make good plans and, and have the, the wherewithal to follow those plans, uh, that for the most part, our life is going to stay on course. And the older we get, we find out that this life is quite vulnerable. That in a matter of 24 hours, our lives can change in a capacity of different ways. I mean, we look back in history, and we can even see that in a historical sense. Uh, for example, if we look back at December 7th, 1941, what event happened that day that in that 24 hours changed the world? Pearl Harbor. Very good. Uh, what about October 29th, 1929? The first service this morning, about half the people got this. Yes. The start of the Great Depression from what is considered Black Tuesday. A Black Monday and Black Tuesday and just the financial collapse that came. What about July 20th, 1969? Apollo, Neil Armstrong, those famous words, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. One day, and it seems like this one 24-hour period, and it changes all kinds of different things. And we look at that from a historical sense. We can look at that from a, you know, a patriotic sense. But even in the personal sense, I mean, think about it. Back on your wedding day. It's always amazing to me. We walked into that church that day, Carly and I, 37 and a half years ago, and we were single. And we walked out, and we were married. That was a change. I mean, we loved each other. We made plans. We, you know, everything was kind of lined up. But the drastic change of 24 hours. What about the birth of a baby? If God has blessed you with a baby or multiple babies, and, and how in one day, especially on that first one, you know, you weren't parents, and then all of a sudden you are parents. Would you say that that was a change that was brought into your life over a 24-hour period? Yes. You know, no more late right, late night pizzas or anything like that. You know, now it's just late nights. Well, we begin to go through all these different things in our lives, the highs and the lows, the challenges that come with just life and its vulnerability, the, the highs of, of weddings and the highs of babies and and then the hurts that come with a parent that passes, a friend, a really close friend that passes, or other vulnerabilities that come to life. And we find out that, as we said already, life is quite vulnerable. 
And that at any one 24-hour period, life can change a lot. That was the case for the ones that we see this morning in John chapter 20. In a matter of days, their lives have gone through all kinds of incredible changes. If we extend that 24 hours out to a seven-day week, we find that just a week before that Christ had rode into Jerusalem, And the disciples thought that the moment had finally come that they'd been waiting for. You know, they always envisioned much more than an earthly kingdom rather than a spiritual kingdom. Even though Jesus told them, I'm not building an earthly kingdom. I'm building a spiritual kingdom. And yet they were always waiting for an earthly kingdom. And when Christ came in on a donkey and rode in uh, to the palm leaves and the shouts of Hosanna, Those disciples, even though they had been warned and told over and over again by Christ, they said, this is the moment. And they went from that high to seeing later that week the death of Christ. Not only the mock trials, not only the the beatings and the persecution, but, but then him dying upon a cross. And then he took his body off that cross and they placed it in a borrowed tomb. Nicodemus... Joseph, they they go and they begin to to bury the body. And then they, uh, at that point, the the ladies come and and they want to prepare the body. In the same way, I don't know if you've ever been responsible for like some of the arrangements of somebody, a loved one, maybe a father, a mother. And you take great, great care that, okay, this is what mama wanted at her funeral. Or this is what daddy, daddy wanted this song to be sung. Or he wanted this verse to be said. Well, they had that same kind of respect and care. And they wanted to prepare the body properly. And yet there came the Sabbath. And so they were preempted. And they couldn't finish and complete it. And that's about where we pick up this story. Where they've had the highs of Palm Sunday and the lows of the death of Christ, the burial of Christ. And you can only imagine that as your life can change in 24 hours, that their lives are asking all kinds of questions. But especially this one question. What now? Have you ever asked that question because of life? Because of a 24-hour period? Have you ever had one of those 24-hour periods that something happened so dramatic, so life-changing, that in the matter of hours, you were overwhelmed physically, emotionally, mentally? And the question, whether you verbalized it in the same way or not, what now? That's the condition that we find this group in. Followers of Christ, ones that loved him, ones that believed in him. And yet as we open John chapter 20, start with verse 1, we see one of those, Mary Magdalene. Now, that's the only one that John mentions here. If we go look at what we call the harmony of the Gospels, if we took Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we put all those stories and all those accounts together, it's what we call the harmony of the Gospels. And we see more of a chronological timeline. We see more characters. In fact, here, where he only mentions Mary Magdalene, we know that there was probably at least four, if not five, other ladies there this morning by reading the other biblical accounts. But each gospel had purpose. And John focuses on this one. Look what it says, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and she went to Simon and Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. 
Mary's response, now again, remember, she's one of four, if not five different ladies that are there. But John's looking at her perspective. And Mary's response is kind of like our response. What's happened? What now? She, she expected to find a body. She expected to complete the task of preparing the body for burial. I mean, there was this certain plan that was in the minds of every one of these ladies, and that plan is interrupted. Number one, they wondered, how are they going to get in the tomb? Because this big rock had been there. But God had already worked that out. Angels had moved that, and then Christ himself, you know, the removal of the stone, so that barrier wasn't there. And yet everything that they had planned to do, now they couldn't do, because it's kind kind of hard to anoint a body that's not there. I'm not trying to be silly. Just trying to point out that there's a lot of times that you and I make plans. There's an agenda. Whether we are those people that are super organized and we actually put it down on our phone, calendar this, other, or we just kind of have it in the back of our mind. We have an agenda. And in the matter of hours, that agenda can go left or right, up or down. That's what she finds herself in. And, and she assumes, for the most part, uh, tragedy. Uh, we see her words reflect some wonder mixed with fear. Now, question, question, important question. Is Mary Magdalene a believer in Jesus Christ? Is she a follower of Jesus Christ? Had she heard the truth about Jesus Christ? Okay, can you be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, believe in the truth of Jesus Christ, and still come upon times in your life where you do not know what's happening? That vulnerability is there. And we see it experience. See, she runs and she tells the disciples, what is her assumption? She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She assumes a little bit of foul play. She assumes on her lack of knowing the rest of the details, that something nefarious has happened. And isn't that usually, honestly, one of our reactions to the unknown? That when we have a plan that we think in our mind is a logical plan, a good plan, maybe even a blessed plan, and then all of a sudden it changes for whatever reason, and we're asking ourselves, what now? Sometimes... We kind of don't lean to strong faith, but we allow fear to begin to creep in. I think it hits us all different. I think we all have a, a certain susceptibility. Some people kind of lead back, and it's like, okay, we'll just deal with it when it comes. But if you're the type of person that says, no, I've got to figure this out, and you're married to a person who says, we'll just figure this out when it comes, you talk about some interesting conversations. Ah, man, you're going, aren't you worried? Aren't you concerned? Aren't you going to do something? There's nothing I can do. (laughs) And oh, my goodness, that makes for interesting table talk. Here we have her natural mind going, they must have taken the body. These same ones that put him on the cross, they must have now taken his body. But also notice the reaction of Peter and John, two disciples of Jesus. I would consider them believers. I would consider them followers. And I would consider them, even though they sometimes had thick skulls and it was hard to get the message in there, that they did believe the truth about Jesus. And yet, look at their reaction, verse 3 and 4. 
So Peter went out from with the other disciple, and that other disciple is John, and, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I told the early service, you can tell that John wrote this and that John's a man. <laughs> is there anything pertinent in verse 4 from a theological level? Does every man in here get it that if you're John and you beat Peter to the tomb and you were the fastest, that you might include that in your gospel? I mean, competition. And he won. I guarantee if Peter won, verse 4 wouldn't be there. I promise you. He wouldn't have said, and I lost the race to the tomb. But we read and they run and they're trying to connect the dots just as we have over the last five weeks as we looked at this path that started in Genesis. Remember, we went all, where does the path to the cross start? It starts in Genesis. In the fall of man, created in perfection, and yet in our rebellion we sinned, and we were separated from God. Do you remember five weeks ago we said that the first pronouncement of the gospel comes in Genesis 3.15? We don't have to wait to the New Testament. That there, just right after the fall, God already says, I have a plan. And in fact, this plan has been before the creation of man. And so as they're trying to connect these dots, as they're trying to, to, to go, how do they react? It says that they went and they reached the tomb. And they go and, uh, you know, we begin to see what, what happens here. Look at verse 5 through 7. And stooping to look in, he saw the linens of cloth lying there and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linens of cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Instead of chaos, instead of where maybe somebody came in and just ram shot the whole place, there seems to be some order there. And so they're wondering what happened. And look at verse 89. In the next verse, it's going to say that, that they believe something, but our question is, what did they believe? Look at verse 8 and 9. Then the other disciple, whom reached the tomb first, John, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. Question. What did he believe? You know that theologians and scholars over the years have been torn on this? Some would say that he believed that the body was gone that he believed what Mary now said. She said there was nobody there, and he believed that. Others would say, no, he believed that he's risen from the dead. We really don't get a pronouncement. We're left to wonder. I actually love that verse. And I don't have to fall down to, okay, he believed in faith, everything that Jesus said, or if he's just believing what Mary said. I don't have to have it in one camp or the other. Why? Because this is my life. This is my faith life. Believer, follower, one who puts faith and trust in the words of God. Have you had those times in your life, but you believed, but you didn't know what you believed? In other words, you couldn't really define what was happening right in front of you. You didn't have all this conclusive information to be able to say, definitely, this is it. Have you ever been in a place, believer, follower of Christ, when the prayer that you can most identify with is, I believe, help my unbelief. It's my favorite prayer in all the Bible. It's the most personal prayer 
that I know. Because I believe. I follow Jesus Christ. And I believe in the truth. And yet the resounding prayer of my life in all actuality is I believe, will you help my unbelief? Can you identify with that this morning? Because there's this part of us that we have this plan. Well, we think we know what the next 24 hours holds. And when it doesn't, also we find ourselves in the midst of these three believers, followers. Was it a theological problem that divided them? No. It was a mystery. It was a wonder. Now, it wasn't because Christ had not fulfilled them, uh, fulfilled them in with, you know, information. He had told them uh, all the events would happen. And yet, the Bible says right there, look at verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Can you be a believer, a follower, believe many of the truths of Christ and still not have it all figured out? How many of you would identify with that camp of believers? Is God angry at us? When we pray that prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. Is that a a prayer that God honors and is glad to hear? Or is he angered by that? Well, you should have had it figured out. I cannot imagine a father of a toddler who comes to a father or a mother and, and they pronounce what they believe or what's real there, but they say, but, but I don't believe this. I, I don't understand this. I, I just can't imagine a mother or a father looking down to this young child Say, well, you should have it all figured out. Dad, I'm three. Do you think our Heavenly Father says, okay, you should have it all figured out? Or do you think he glories in the prayer, I believe, will you help my unbelief? I mean, daddies, mommies, what would you do if your toddler comes out? Uh, This part I get, but I don't get this. Will you help me, mommy? Will you help me, daddy? What joy it brings to our hearts is that there's a thirst for understanding, but there's just a lack of understanding. I believe that's the situation that they're in. Verse 8, he saw and he believed. What did he believe? I don't know that we're going to be able to figure that out, but I don't think it really matters what camp we would want to settle that in. All we know is that there's wonderment there. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Okay, you're thinking at this point, okay, God, if you show me like angels, that's going to help my lack of understanding. I mean, do you think that you've seen an angel before? The Bible says that we entertain angels unaware. So I don't know that they would be in all white like this. I think these were obviously, oh, this is an angel. I don't think there was, you know, is that Fred? Is that Sally? Or is that an angel? I think when she saw these two, because of the description there, two angels, I think she these are angels. And yet, does that solve the problem? Does all of a sudden she figure it all out? Look what happens in verse 13. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
Okay, we see her emotional state. She's crying here. Why? Because she can't find the body of Christ. And that's who she was looking for. Her plan went aside. And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Again, a kind of a nefarious leaning there. She assumes that there's been uh, something gone wrong that, that somebody else instigated, maybe the Roman government. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Scholars say maybe because she was crying, maybe because it was still early in the morning, maybe there was a mist, maybe just in all of her confusion, something's right in front of you, but you don't see it because you're just overwhelmed. Verse 15. Maybe one of the, maybe one of the most beautiful verses of the Easter narrative. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? You notice the same question that the angels had asked? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. We see that and then all of a sudden we skip down to verse 16 and we see the beauty that Christ himself, does he know the answer to the questions that he just asked her? Do you think that, would there ever be an occasion in your life that Christ may ask you, why are you weeping? And yet he already knows the answer. Why would Christ ever ask us this question that he already knows the answer? Again, let's go all the way back to Genesis 3. Adam, Eve, where are you? We're over here. Why are you hiding? Do you think he knows why they're hiding? Yes, we looked at that five weeks ago. But they needed to identify their need. And in compassion and grace, not out of judgment, not out of a harshness, out of a compassion. There may be times that Christ would ask you and I, Bobby, why are you weeping? Because I don't know Jesus. I don't know what tomorrow or next week or next month, and I'm trying to get a plan, and I want my life to kind of follow this plan, and I just don't know. So what answer does he give her, this woman who doesn't know, and she's weeping? Who are you seeking? Verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. The minute she hears his name from his lips, she identifies the person of Christ. It's hard for me to read that without thinking back on the passage that talks about that, that he knows his sheep and they know his voice. Folks, that's why this isn't a religion, but it's a relationship. I know that that sounds like bumper sticker kind of theology that I don't like, but this is not about following form. This is about that we know Jesus and he knows us. And there may be times in your life and my life that we're asking, what now? Because our plans went us to the side and got turned upside down. All of a sudden there was a dead end where we thought there was going to be another 20 years. And he might ask us, why are you weeping? Is that a, a, a question of judgment? Why are you weeping? Or of compassion? 
Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, and my God and your God. She doesn't know where to take the next step. And he tells them, tells her where to take the next step. Does he fill in the whole plan for the rest of her life? No. Hey, but go do this. In our moments of asking what now? In the moments of our either physical or emotional or mental weeping, and we don't know what the future holds, Christ in his mercy and his grace and his passion and his love, he may not give you the plan for the rest of your life, but I promise you, he does not leave us seeking in wonderment. He at least, you know, here's the next step. Just go do this. Just act on what you already know to be true of me. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Jesus himself affirms the reality of the truth. Dear people, on this Easter Sunday morning of 2023, we're going to have times in our lives when we wonder and the fear and the unknown put us in a position where... Perhaps the best prayer that we could ever pray is, I believe, will you help my unbelief? And it will be an honest prayer, and it will be a a good prayer. It's one that's honoring to the glory of God. And I truly believe that in that moment that we will receive what we need for that moment. Maybe not even for the next five moments. Maybe for the next 20, you know, four hours or 72 hours. But he meets our needs. And he does that and he says, you go tell the disciples. And Mary responds in obedience and runs to tell the disciples. But her news is doubted according to Mark's gospel. Again, if you look at the harmony of the gospels, she goes back and she tells truth and they're going, ah, we don't believe you. (laughs) Maybe you were just seeing things. And then look what happens as we go down to verse 19. What's the first phrase of verse 19? On the evening of that day been a long day <laughs> we started in the tomb you know in the garden area now the whole day is gone and now they're locked behind doors because of fear of the jewish government it's the same day 24 hours and on that same day in the evening of the day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the jews jesus came and stood among them and said to them peace be with you and when he had said this, he showed him them his hands in his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 24 hours. Whole world turned upside down. Then we have the silence of Saturday. We have the wonder of Resurrection Day. Where's the body? Who took him? And at each turn, we see Christ coming in a personal way, Mary. Now he comes and he shows himself to his disciples. He shows the intimacy of his hands and his feet where the nails were. And the disciples, verse 20, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In 24 hours, they had moved from fear to faith, from hopelessness to hope, went from tragedy to triumph. How? 
because Christ himself met their need. Called Mary by name. Showed the disciples his hands and his feet. I don't know that you can get much more intimate than that, guys. Because I promise you, what you need more than page four of your monthly planner is that you need Jesus. Well, that sounds like what a pastor would say, but this pastor believes it, and I believe that is our greatest need. Your greatest need isn't to know what's going to happen next Thursday. Your greatest need is Christ Jesus. And in the intimacy of that relationship, all of a sudden, he will really fill in next Thursday, or you're going to be so focused on him and the sufficiency of Christ that it's not really going to matter what happens next Thursday because you know Christ. I hope what you get out of this, guys, is is two things. Number one, that life can change in 24 hours. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ, you've thought about it, you kind of look at it, maybe you even see it as a fairy tale and you just kind of go along with the family because they're all these religious folks. In 24 hours, life can change. I mean, in a second, life can change. And to talk theologically for a second, you can go from death to life in a matter of second of placing belief in this one Jesus Christ. But if you're here this morning, you're a believer. You would say, yes, I'm a believer and I'm a follower and I I believe these things about Jesus. Here's what I would hope that you and I would gather from this this morning. That when those moments come, and they will come, and even into the life of a believer, where you're left going, what now? That there's a ready answer. And the ready answer isn't a plan. It's a man. Jesus Christ. And I pray that God reveals that to you this morning. That it's not just us playing word games. But that it truly is that you know that it really doesn't matter what tomorrow holds. Because you have this faith that you serve a sovereign God. Who knows you by name. And in the midst of your Need calls out Mary, Bobby. That's this God. This morning, can we be honest and say that we like plans and working plans? I mean, can can you say that honestly about yourself? Again, I I know that there's a laid-back version for some people. And then there's a really, (laughs) there's another side of that scale over here that, I'm looking at this, you have every second planned out. But would you agree this morning that there's a part of your humanity that we all share, that we don't like surprises, and we kind of like to control the ship, as the poet said to be the captain of our own ship. Is there a part of you that lives within you and your mind and your heart like that? That by itself is not evil. The evil comes when all of a sudden we begin to tell God what we think should happen. Have you ever done that? Well, God, I would have done it this way. You know what God says to that, I believe? then you would have messed up. 
I think it really is that simple. It's kind of black and white. Well, God, I probably would have done it this way. And you would have messed up the whole thing. Folks, he is risen. He has risen indeed. And it's more than just kind of this theological thing. It is that. And we need that core. As Paul said later, if he's not risen, we have nothing to preach. So we're not taking that away. But do not miss the intimacy of the resurrection. It is not just the theological foundation of our life. It is our breath in our life every single day. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, we do confess we do like plans. And we like making plans. And we like when plans go together. And so, Father, we can identify with Mary, expecting to find a body and finding an empty tomb. Father, we can identify with Peter and John and the other disciples that had one expectation, even though they had heard truth, that, Father, in their minds, they just couldn't all figure it out. And so, Father, thank you that you have put other examples of believers, followers, in your word to show us that our greatest need, Father, is one that we share with the rest of humanity. And Father, that our need to have a Savior, that you've supplied that through Jesus Christ. But this need to know, this need to have it all figured out, Father, will you teach us that in our sanctification, Father, that day by day by day, that you truly would teach us to trust you in more and more. That it's not just a hope, it's a living hope. This hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And help us to grasp that, understand that, and rely upon that this day, Father. We love you, Father. And we proclaim today that he is risen. He is risen indeed. To give us victory over sin, death, and the grave. And even to give us victory over the questions of what now? We pray this in his name, Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.